Welcome to Murder in the Black with Steph and MB. We have a case about Antonio Jr. Armstrong, and I think we're going to title this case Faith Family Football. Okay, that's fun. Yeah. Yeah, so grab your coffee if it's the morning or your wine if it's the evening, but either way, let's get into it. All right. So, what happened in 2016? Well, let's start this case really just kind of from the beginning. You know, who the Armstrongs are. When you have a respected and renowned family in the community in which you live, you know, it appears like you have everything you could ever want or need. But appearances aren't always as perfect as they seem. And we know that stuff. Mm -hmm. The Armstrongs were a perfect example of this. They seem to have it all. Faith, family, and football. Which is why we call our case Faith, Family, and Football. But deception and murder, you know, can be a cloak for perfection. This is the story of the Armstrong family. Not just Antonio Jr., But the Armstrong family consisted of Antonio Sr., and he was a former football star. He was drafted to the 49ers and boo to the 49ers. I'm a Cowboys fan, but neither here nor there. Prior to playing for uh, Texas A&M University, he was an all-star defensive player and was known to be a person that gave back to his family. He came from poor beginnings, though, but he was committed to changing that legacy for his family. So he was a Texas boy. He was a Texas boy. Okay. Tried and true. Faith, family, football. I think most Texans can say they have some of those beliefs. Mm-hmm. For sure. Dawn, his wife, met Antonio at church. She was pregnant at the time that they met. But this didn't stop Antonio from falling head over heels for her. He married Dawn and treated Dawn's son as if he were the biological father. People describe Don as being the perfect mother. The so perfect mother? The perfect mother. That's what literally people said about her. Mm. And, you know, she was dedicated to being a mother and supporting her husband. Josh was her, her son from a previous relationship. But, again, Antonio, that's all Josh ever knew was, was Antonio. Mm-hmm. And so Josh treated Antonio as if, you know, he was his own. AJ Antonio Jr. Antonio Jr. was Don and Antonio's first biological child, and they gave back to their community. Do you know anything about Bel Air Houston? I've never heard of Bel Air. I have never heard of Bel Air Houston a day in my life. Okay. But apparently, it's an affluent part of Houston. Okay. So, so it's a suburb of Houston. It's a suburb of Houston, mm-hmm. and it's an affluent area. Nice, beautiful homes, and this is where they they chose to raise their children. But on July 29, 2016, at 1.40 a.m., everything that anyone ever knew about the Armstrongs immediately changed. What happened? 911 dispatch received a call from AJ, and he was whispering that he was in the closet because he heard gunshots coming from his parents' bedroom. He was scared, rightfully so, who wouldn't be, and he knew that 911 was who he had to call in order to get out of this house alive. 911 asked a series of questions, including, where is your younger sister? He said you know, she was asleep down the hallway, and 
Steele, while 911 was on the call, he walked quietly to her room, and you can hear him on this 911 call walking down the hallway to get Kayra. You can hear Kayra dazed and confused when he's waking her up. It's very obvious to 911 dispatcher and anybody that's listening to this call that Kayra was asleep. Okay. Then they walk back to the closet. The 911 dispatcher then coaches AJ to stay calm and stay where he is until the police arrive. Once the police arrive, AJ goes down the stairs, disarms the alarm system, and lets the police inside. Dawn was found shot in the head twice. She was dead on the scene, and Antonio was shot once in the head, and he was in critical condition. They rushed him to the hospital, but it was evident that he was not going to make it, and he eventually succumbed to his injuries. Wow. So this began a very long saga of what the community perceived to know about the Armstrongs. Okay, and so how old was AJ? Did we say how old? AJ was 16 at the time. Okay, Kayra? I'm not sure how old Kayra was, but Kayra, she's much younger than her brother. She wasn't in high school. Okay. I think Kayra was like probably middle school. She was like 12 years old. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Mm -hmm. So the the police come, and when they come, as you've already said, they, um, they come to the door and AJ actually has to disarm the alarm system, which we want you guys to keep in mind that this is very, <laughs> it's a very interesting fact. It's that an you interesting just fact. Put yes. a, put a notation by for yourself. Tuck it under if, your hat. If you're sitting right, taking notes, like highlight it <laughs> underlined. So they come in and they, they don't see any, areas that have been burglarized or somebody like a point of entry that was you know a break-in and so they're trying to figure out okay how did this person or perpetrators get into the house right because they secured the entire home Mm -hmm. like walked on the outside because you know in from what the 911 dispatcher is saying is hey aj's in the closet with his sister kara and they heard gunshots right so this person probably is Is still in the house right for all they know the police know For all they know. So they're looking around. They don't see anything. But what they do find in the kitchen is a note. And the note was kind of tattered and looked like, you know, somebody probably balled it up in their pocket or something. Right. And the note says, I have been watching you for a long time. And in the corner of the note, it says, come get me. So the police are like, okay, let's take that into it. Right. That, this is evidence. Let's <laughs> bag this. Um, so they go and inspect the parents' room, AJ's parents' room. And what they find on the ceiling when they look up is that the pieces of the ceiling were coming down. Right. And, you know, they were just, and, and not foundational issues. Right. It looked odd. It looks very odd. So they go upstairs and survey AJ's room. Right. Because his room is right above. It's directly above his parents' room. Right. And it looks like somebody fired a gun. And so they're like, okay, another check mark. Right. Let's, this is strange. We're collecting. Why is there a bullet? That is very from... unusual. Right. And it was covered up in the, with like a pile of socks. So, so the it bullet wasn't like, like, it wasn't obvious. They had to actually search. Yeah, for they this. had to, you know, 
investigate to see mm-hmm. what was going on uh, with this with this silly situation. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was covered up by a pile of clothes. And as they're walking out of AJ's room, there's a suspicious burn mark on mm-hmm. the ground. Mm-hmm. So another suspicious thing that it's at strange. the time they don't really understand. Right, because why is there a burn mark? This is this. They weren't. There wasn't a fire. Right. This was a shooting. A shooting. Okay. So they kind of make a note for that, and it's not looking like a murder suicide. They don't suspect that, for instance, his mother or the father said, "I'm gonna kill you, and I'm gonna kill myself too." It wasn't looking like this. This is very much uh, starting to be a homicide situation. So. The investigation continues, and they actually, which I think was very good of Houston PD or Bel Air PD, I guess. I don't know. Well, whatever. The police department. The police department. Involved in this. this. They did their job uh, because they actually, at the crime scene, which is what you're supposed to do, they actually separated Kara and AJ mm-hmm. and Josh because Josh only lived a couple of blocks away from their home. So right. when he... Did AJ call him? Do you know? I'm not sure who called him, but he did get a phone call shortly. It couldn't have been AJ, right? Because AJ was was on the phone with with the 911 dispatcher. Unless AJ called, you know, Josh before. And I don't believe that that was a part of what was revealed in trial. So I I think that he must have found out from somebody Somebody. else. He only lived mere blocks away Mm -hmm. with his girlfriend. They just moved into this apartment. So, you know, probably a nosy neighbor. That would be me. Like, if I was a family. Right. Because this was a a renowned family. Right. So, they were known. And just as a tidbit, because usually we tell you guys where we we did the bulk of our investigation or the Mm -hmm. bulk of our research came from 2020. Okay. And so, this case is in its current, it was from this season of 2020. You can go pull it up. Because this is an ongoing case. Yeah, which you guys We didn't say that at the beginning, but... You guys will see. You will see. So AJ's there, Josh is there, and of course Kayra is there. And so the police go ahead and conduct um, a gunshot residue test on both of them or all of them. And they actually separate them to question them and to see what is going on. What's their story? What's their story? What happened? Mm -hmm. Um, And AJ, of course, is, he's shocked. I mean, as you would be, right? Um, But the police go ahead and handcuff him. And they take him down to the police station for questioning. So they handcuff AJ. 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 Not Josh. So they handcuffed AJ. So that's that's an that's an arrest. Right? That's what I thought. He's he was taken into custody. And is that is that I mean, MD, I know you're not a criminal attorney, but is that (laughs) I am not all the questions. I'm not. But I don't even think like, you know, they usually just like, can you come down? Right. Like, I think that it's interesting here that they actually arrested him and placed him in custody instead of just merely bringing him down to the station to talk. Right. I think that's very interesting. And I I, I didn't really pay close attention to that until we were, like, really discussing this case right. in depth. But, yeah, he was placed into custody. He was detained for purposes of... Whether or not you are arrested or not, one of the most important elements is, are you detained? Can Are you free to leave? Mm-hmm. He was obviously not free to leave because he was placed right. in handcuffs, right. placed in the back of a vehicle. And then 
what happened when they got him down to the station? So they get him down to the station. Um, they read him his rights because well, that's what you have to and do. And then there you go. So he was <laughs> formally arrested because if you are detained, if you are placed in custody and you're not free to leave, one of the telltale signs is did they read you your rights? Mm-hmm. Because if I go in to just give information to the police, they're just wanting to, you know, talk to me because I was a witness to the scene. They're not going to read me my rights because my rights are not in jeopardy here because I am free to leave. I can get up and leave at any point. But they read him his rights, Steph. And then what? So they... Did he... Did, did he, he denied legal counsel. Okay, people. I need... So... <laughs> I hope that you're listening, and I hope you're able to say this with me. Because you know you can because say Because I say this every case, and I will say it every case until the cows come home. What are you supposed to do when you are read your rights or you see that the police are questioning you? You get a lawyer. Stop get speaking. Get a lawyer. I don't care if you know you're innocent. I don't care if you know you're guilty. You need an attorney. Mm-hmm. Guilty or innocent. Get an attorney. an attorney. Get an attorney. We're going to put that on the shirt. And we really are. And I need y'all to read. <laughs> so, um, AJ then describes his relationship with his parents. He said that it was a loving relationship. Um, you know, he just described an atmosphere where everything was pretty much going pretty well. I mean, be- besides the, you know, the normal teenage, teenage angst that happens when you're a teenager. Um, and so that's his story. And his family, to boot, his family really were just shocked that they even brought AJ down. Because it was like, AJ has nothing to do with this. Which you wouldn't expect less coming from the family. Absolutely. I mean, unless you have a a, key, a kid, a teenager who is obviously rebellious and just out there, then maybe you would think right. that they... But they felt like AJ was a good kid. He was... Wanted to be just like his dad. They couldn't believe that AJ had anything to do with this. So they ended up calling the family attorney who got involved. The family attorney was not a criminal attorney. So he got a criminal attorney involved. Right. But again, this is later down the roads because AJ denied legal counsel. Not only did he not ask for legal counsel, Mm -hmm. but he denied it. I think one of the important things here is that because he was 16, this is a very... I was just about to say that. Yeah, this is a very um, gray area of the law. Like, you know, I don't say gray. I, I think that it's a very sticky area, meaning... He's still very young, and and in the definition of Texas, he is considered a child. He's not a legal adult. But when they read him his rights, they were very meticulous. Like, they made sure he understood every single thing. And this was recorded, so you can actually go and listen to and watch him his interview with the police. And they were very meticulous about making sure he understood his rights. I think... Police officers assume if you're an adult, you understand, you know, what your rights are. You have the right to remain silent. You have the right to legal counsel. And they, not only did they ask him, did he understand it, but then they asked him what it meant. And he was able to repeat in his own words what his rights were. And then he denied legal counsel. So it's one thing to just sit there and say, I heard my rights. It's another thing to say, I don't want an attorney. And he felt like he didn't want an attorney because he was innocent. Which is what most people think. If I'm innocent, then I can talk to you, no problem. And I think it was a step further for AJ. He also wanted to get help for his parents. 
Mm-hmm. So it was like, I'm innocent and I want to tell whatever I need to say to be able to help my, my, my parents. And so he gives them a timeline of what he had did that day. Okay. He said he came back home around 5 p.m. He was out, you know, for the day, just doing normal things. His parents went out around 8 p.m. And then he went and picked up his sister from his sister's friend's house. Okay. They got back around 9 or 10 p.m. His sister set the alarm. He went upstairs to watch Netflix in his room. And while he was upstairs, he heard a noise downstairs. So at this point, he's upstairs. Sister set the alarm. She went to sleep. Mom and dad are in their room. They're asleep. He's upstairs watching Netflix, and he hears noise downstairs. Okay. So he kind of is on alert. Then he hears gunshots. He saw. He said he goes out into the hallway where he sees a masked intruder. He only sees the eyes and the mouth. He said he believed it looked like a black guy, about six foot tall. He runs back to his room, gets in the closet, calls 911. So he implies that somebody was in the house, which is why when the police arrived, they secured the home. Right, you have to do that. I I learned in one of our cases that the reason, um, well, in another case, it was a a situation where someone was shot and they were asking for medical assistance, but the police had to secure the area first before they provided that medical assistance. So if there is an alleged perpetrator on scene, you're saying there's someone on scene, they have to first secure the area, which is what the police did uh, before they can even, you know, get any medical assistance. So I'm sure there was a delay there even with his, his dad. Right. Yes, absolutely. So police are listening to this. But, you know, remember, Steph, you talk about all the evidence that they bagged. They bagged the note. They bagged the, or they bagged, they didn't bag, but they notated the bullet that was in AJ's room. So they ask AJ about this bullet. They're like, AJ, do you or have you used a gun? And he said, my dad has a gun. And they said, okay, well, have you used that gun? Yes, I've used the gun before. And he said that he had used the gun with one of his cousins, that him and his cousin were in the room. I, I, don't, I, can't, I can't remember if it was a cousin, actually, or a friend. But okay. either way, they were in his room a couple of weeks prior, playing with his friends, um, and accidentally shot the gun. It went through, through the, floor, the floor, which could explain the ceiling. So that was the explanation. That Yes, I did, but, you know, other than other than that, and messing with my gun with my dad when we go to the gun range. He was right. like, I shoot with my dad when we go to the gun range. But the only time I've ever used the gun outside of my dad's presence was this incident in his bedroom that allegedly happened a few weeks ago. So they're like, okay. I mean, and this is Texas. So, you know, a lot of people, we do guns here. We carry. We carry, <laughs> we carry gun, guns. We, we believe in our guns and the Second Amendment right here in Texas. Yes. Uh, so they ask... AJ, well, what about this burn mark, right? So you... What's your explanation? Talked about this burn mark in mm-hmm. there. Where did this come from? He says, oh, well, a couple of weeks ago, I was also playing with my friends. He's just playing with his friends? Yeah, he said he dropped some matches. He actually dropped one, created this burn mark. He got in trouble from his parents, but, you know, he was just being silly. A 16... He, he explained it as... 
I was just being, you know, just playing around, goofing around, probably doing too much. Obviously. Obviously. But I was playing around. Trying to burn down the house. Right. Well, at this point, you know, they start to pry a little bit more about AJ and his relationship with his family. Like, Mm -hmm. do you have a, are you good in your grades? Are you good with your mom and dad? Are you messing around in any other kind of way? And he explains, you know, I've been in trouble with my parents. Yes, like doing, again, normal teenage stuff. I've, you know, messed around with weed a couple of times. You know, I was partying. But, and I and I did get, I did, my mom and dad did pull me out of my high school. Him and his sister went to Kincaid School out there where they lived. Yeah. And his mom ended up pulling, his parents ended up pulling him out because he was out here just being a, rebellious teenager but he talked about it in the sense of yes I know I was not doing everything that was right but my parents and I had a loving relationship despite that and I think can you relate to that Steph as a if you channel back your high school years when you were acting crazy when I was acting crazy Mm -hmm. did your love for your parents change because you were acting crazy or you were just doing what you were doing yeah I was just doing what I was doing right you know it's just I mean, I can't, I wasn't rebellious in high school, but like my college years. <laughs> yeah. But I still love my parents and I always felt like I could still, I still could maintain that love even right. though our relationship wasn't the best. Right. During and the time. I, I think it's important to think through that lens as we're looking at AJ as a suspect, because I think it's really easy to believe that oh, well, this looks like a motive or this is very suspicious. And I think it is. And Mm -hmm. I think you do have to, as a good police officer, as a good investigator, have to look at this with critical eyes. Like, okay, could that be a motive? But I think it is important to also see the other side, which is you once were out here being crazy. And unlike you, my rebellious time was in high school and I was doing crazy stuff and out here being, you know, trying to do my own thing. Right. And my love for my parents never once changed and never once did I think about killing my parents (laughs) because they may have punished me too long or they took away my freedom that I rightfully deserved. Because usually as a teenager, even when your parents take something from you, you know you deserve to have that said thing taken. Right. Like, I know I I missed my curfew for the fifth time this week. My parents now say, I can't go anywhere. I'm mad at my parents. Because I want to go. Because that sucks. But it's it's really my fault. Mm-hmm. You see what mm-hmm. I mean? Yeah. So what happened? I mean, because now he's looking like suspect numero Number uno. one. Well, and he was suspect number one for the police. I think the police felt that once they listened to AJ, AJ thought... I just they, explained everything. I explained they everything. They get it now. They get Let it. Let me go home. Absolutely. And the police said, absolutely not. We believe 1,000% (laughs) that you did this. Spoiler alert, sir. And so they pretty much arrested AJ and they felt like you did this. Mm -hmm. But while they're talking to AJ and they're learning AJ's story and while they're being convinced that they have their suspect in custody, they they have the killer in custody, according to the police. Steph, what was happening simultaneously? Meanwhile, plot twist. A break-in happens at the Armstrong's gym. So one of their gyms. Remember, we said that they own two gyms in the community. Mm -hmm. 
And one of their gyms was broken into. Yes. Everything was caught on surveillance. So the police could look back at that, which is kind of interesting. Okay. And they, the people who broke in were looking for something specific. They weren't just trying to get things to sell. Or, you know, trying to get valuable items. They were looking for something specific. They took um, computers. Um, but the police, as they, you know, as this evidence comes out and they find out, oh my goodness, the, the gym was broken into. They don't believe that it's related. They, they, believe, they believe that it's completely unrelated. Mm -hmm. Which is very interesting. And I'm not saying that it's it's related. But I think that it's... A very interesting coincidence. Yes, as this case evolves. To happen mere hours after the parents they were shot. Murdered, the Armstrongs right? were shot. And then mere hours later, at one of their gyms, they there's a break-in. And you can see this break-in. You talk about how that there, there was surveillance. surveillance. And it was obvious to the eye. If you go and watch the 2020 footage, or even if you just Google the surveillance video, you will be able to see the perpetrators walk in and they are on a mission they're on a mission to find what they want and then they take two computers almost kind of haphazardly like okay this may be the only place we could try to find what we're looking for but they leave all this other valuable things behind so they leave tvs behind they leave machines behind that are valuable arguably maybe more valuable than the computers sure and yet they only take the computers. So it's almost as if these burglars are not trying to take for profit, but take for knowledge. Yeah, like I'm going in here to take these items and let's just say they were connected with the murders, maybe to cover something up. I mean, I think that's, I'm not an investigator, to be clear, but I would. <laughs> we are not investigators. We're not. But it would just, it would make, it would give me pause. And for the police, they just felt like they had their guy. Yeah, they, I think they looked into it. I don't want to say that it, in the very, like, as soon as they heard about it, they oh. wrote it off. Yeah, they investigated it. But they it. investigated it, and they just felt it was a completely unrelated incident. And they also never caught the perpetrator. So they weren't able to completely write this off in the sense that they talked to the the people they broke in. They never found them. Yeah, people. and it was two perpetrators, to be clear. Right. Two people. So, on August 6th, they have the funeral. Um, they were very loved, as we already have said, and very notable in, um, in the community, and thousands of people came. Um, AJ was present, but we already said he was booked, and he was there in handcuffs. So, and then right they believe they had the, their guy. They, they did, and they were solid that they had their guy. And after the funeral, they, they just took them back to juvenile, right? right? right. So what's, I, we didn't mention this, and I, I just want to say this because I think it's, it's unfortunate. AJ was, when AJ was being questioned by the police, he didn't know that his father had died yet. His father had not right. died when he went into questioning. And then he got booked and went to juvenile. And he didn't find out that his dad died until his attorney came and told him. Wow. And so I think, you know, this was a very emotional time for AJ. Uh, he was just completely destroyed. He had to go to this funeral in handcuffs. He had to leave the funeral instead of staying and grieving with his family and go straight back to juvenile. 
So the evidence, like why does the police believe that they have this case, This per, the person that they have right. in custody is their person. And the reason they do is because they felt like they had all the, ev- all the evidence pointed toward AJ. Okay. But let's talk about what they didn't have first. So remember, you talked about how they did gunshot residue tests on Kayra, AJ, and Josh. Well, all the gunshot residue came back clean. Nobody had gunshot Nobody had gunshot residue on them. But for the police, that was not a make or break for them. Mm. Now, the crime scene was bloody. Sure. But there was no blood splatter found on AJ. Nowhere on his clothing. Nowhere in a washer or a dryer. Nowhere on the scene. Okay. No fingerprints on the gun. No fingerprints on the notepad. No fingerprints on the pen. Okay. No soap or water in the sink. Nobody washed anything. Nobody washed anything. So this is what we don't have. This is the evidence that does not exist. And I think it's important. We always talk about what they have. Mm -hmm. But in this case, it is so vital to understand what they don't have. So the the police don't have this. But what the police believe they do have is motive. They believe that AJ had a very bad relationship with his parents. He got his car taken away from him. He was taken out of school. He was taken out of football. He was wilding out and text message data shows that the relationship between his mom and his dad was strained. And because of that, they believe that AJ did what only he felt he could do is to get his freedom by taking his parents' lives. And the reason that they believe this wholeheartedly is not just because of this bullet that's in this bullet hole in his <laughs> in his room. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh or the burn marks on the ground, they believe this because the alarm system, I remember we told you to highlight it, underline it, asterisk. Put it in red letters. Here it is. They believe that the alarm system tells a completely different story than what AJ is saying. AJ is saying somebody broke into the house. But there's no evidence of that. But the alarm system says nobody came into this house. Came into the house. And not only the alarm system, but there was motion detectors, mm-hmm. okay? And the motion detectors, it carries data as well. It shows you when you're moving around the house. Right. And there was no motion until 1.09 a.m. And then 1.40 a.m. when he called the police. And so, remember, AJ had to disarm the alarm system to let the police in. So, they're saying, if you had to disarm the, the alarm system, and you're saying your sister said it before she, went to, before she went to bed at night, then how did anybody ever get into this house? The perpetrator must be somebody in the house. Kara was obviously asleep. Right. So, it has to be you. Yeah. And that's why they believe that they had their person. So they go to trial. Okay. Two years, nine months after the murder. So we're, we are 2019, I believe, end of 2018, 2019. Mm-hmm. And they're headed to trial. And, and uh, 
AJ has his defense attorneys and they're armed and they are ready to combat every single piece of evidence because they believe that what the police doesn't have is more important, more critical than what the police say they do have. And it, in a lot of our cases, we are talking about circumstantial evidence. But in this case, we are talking about a big piece of circumstantial evidence and one tangible piece of evidence, which is the alarm system. So for the prosecution, the alarm system is the key witness here. And they believe that he did it because the alarm system shows that he must have done it. The Armstrongs also increased their life insurance policy. And they believe that AJ knew about this. And because he knew about this, and he was having such a hard time with his parents, he felt like I can get a big payout and not have to worry about having my parents to tell me what to do. I can be a full adult. I can be a full on adult. On their dime. On their dime. <laughs> so they go to they go to trial and at right before the trial starts. Okay. The defense finds out about a witness called Maxine. I'm not gonna say Maxine's last name because it ends up being not important. If you mm-hmm. want to know her last name, you can Google, you can watch 2020 and know. But Maxine comes to the police shortly after the the murder, and she tells the police this very interesting story that she knows that who could possibly have done it. She doesn't know the people, but she, she believes she knows why. She said that her and her husband were really good friends with the Armstrongs, with Don and Antonio. Okay. And that they were involved in a prostitution ring. Sex trafficking. And right before, you know, the Armstrongs were murdered, they were getting really odd phone calls. And there was just some things that were happening that really led her to believe that the reason they were killed was a result of this prostitution ring that they were involved in. Wow. But the prosecution never revealed this to the defense. And the defense found out about it right before trial. So the defense has come to the judge and they're like, this is... Mistrial. Mistrial. Uh, I'm sure they argued for that. (laughs) And it's what we call Brady, a Brady violation. Mm -hmm. A Brady violation is when the prosecution has critical evidence that could exonerate the witness or the defendant. Mm -hmm. And they don't tell the defendant about it. And they have what is called exculpatory evidence, and they don't tell the defense about they it. Have a, they have to, right? Right, they have to. But luckily, this trial had not started yet, so they were kind of in this gray area, and the judge ended up saying, well, bring Maxine in. We're going to send the jury out. I want to hear Maxine's testimony, and I'll, I'll make a decision on whether or not this was exculpatory evidence or if this was key evidence. So Maxine testifies in front of the judge. The defense gets to uh, cross-examine her, mm-hmm. and the judge rules that her testimony is not relevant whatsoever and throws <laughs> it out. Get out of here, Maxine. Get out, Maxine, because you're you know, they don't believe that she's being honest. Now, whether she's being honest or not is very... Unclear. I know that that gave me a lot of pause there. And there's nothing, there is nothing, when I say zero things about this that you can find on the internet. And maybe there we got some sleuths out there that may be able to find something a little bit more than what I found, but I found nothing. And 2020 does not really 
stay on this point long enough, but I just think that this is really interesting. So the trial goes on and the police, they present this alarm system evidence and they show that, hey, there's no way that anybody could have been in here. They walk down the motion detector evidence and, and they point the finger at AJ. Mm -hmm. And the defense gets up and the defense brings up an expert. And they had hired their own expert to examine this alarm system and figure out, is this alarm system reliable? Because the police are saying that it's, it is their key witness. It's their star the of the alarm, day. The tech is the is alarm the system. So the, the expert, the defense's expert comes in and says, we cannot rely on this alarm system. And he actually does a video of him with the actual or simu the exact same alarm system model that was in the Armstrong's house. Okay. And he arms the alarm. You see him arm the alarm system. And then he opens the door. And the alarm system does not go off. And not only does the alarm system not disarm when he opens this door, like sound an alert, but it also doesn't record it. So, for example, my door, when I open it, it's connected to our alarm. It not only re record, it, not, it not only will let me know if somebody is breaking in, but it makes a sound dee -dee -dee, mm -hmm. every time somebody comes in and out. And that data is recorded for the security system that's monitoring my alarm system. It doesn't even record that there was somebody that opened the door. So it's unreliable. It is not, according to the defense, mm -hmm. it is an unreliable witness. And so they go on and begin to poke holes in the rest of the prosecution's case, you know, saying we can't rely on the fact that there's a bullet in the, in the ground. We don't know when that bullet occurred. You can't rely on this, on this, um, Burn mark, which the prosecution says was AJ's first attempt at trying to kill his parents, but he realized that that was probably too dangerous for himself. But the, the defense says, no, you can't. There's nothing that shows, one, that he did it, and two, that he did it with an intent to kill. That he's a teenager, and teenagers do dumb things. And they if do. You know a teenager, you know that this is to be true. And if <laughs> you were a teenager, you also know that that is to be true. They, they pretty much poke a lot of holes into this argument that the prosecution has put forth. And the prosecution says, but if it's not AJ, then who? That was almost like their theme mm -hmm. of their, if not AJ, then who? Then who did? And the defense has an answer. It's Josh. Now, you're probably like, who is Josh? Right. Because we haven't talked about Josh since not the beginning. Right. Josh was... AJ's older brother. Remember, Don had a baby prior to being in a relationship with Antonio. And so the defense says it was Josh. Josh did it. And the reason they say it was Josh was because Josh was mentally ill. Josh went to college and he had a mental break while he was in college. And part of that mental break was when he found out that Antonio Sr. was not his biological father because he did not know. Hmm. And so they believe that his motive was this mental break that he had and because, you know, he didn't know he was really the biological child. They bring Kara on the stand to substantiate that he did have a mental break, that AJ could possibly have never done this. They bring Josh's girlfriend on the stand and she tries to say that, I was with Josh. He was at the house the night that he could, that this murder took place. He could not have done this. But 
they were able to show that she was actually asleep. So she wouldn't know if AJ if left the house yeah. and came back. At the end of the day, the case is surrendered to the jury and the jury comes back with a hung jury. Eight to four. They say eight, they believe that he did it. And four, believe that he did not do it. It took the jury three days to figure this out. <sighs> so this was, that. I mean, that's a, that's a pretty lengthy deliberation. It is, for sure. Prosecution said, we believe we have our person. We're going back to trial. And so less than, or I want to say maybe, I, I think it was, well, it, it happened in 2022, so I want to say another two years goes by, and they go back to trial. And I'm going to be pretty quick with this one because there wasn't much difference in the first trial than the second trial. The prosecution still believed that the alarm was their key witness, but this time, go ahead, you have a so question? So I have, so right in the first trial, did they try to get some medical records? For Josh? Because you said he had a mental illness, but, I mean, that's all that was said. So the defense wanted to bring in medical evidence of Josh's mental illness. They wanted to bring in his records to show that he had this mental illness. And they wanted to also show some other things that, like, the doctor said about his mental illness, what he said. But the judge said, absolutely not. We're not bringing that in. They felt like that was was inappropriate and Mm -hmm. they didn't bring those medical records in the first trial. Okay. But those medical records did come in the second trial. So the judge in the second trial allowed those medical records to come in. And what was revealed in those medical records is that Josh believed that he was present. He told the doctor that he was present for both the murders of his parents. Okay. And he told multiple people this. But, I mean, can we really trust what he's saying? That's a great question. He's mentally ill. We're saying he's mentally ill. Right. But did he say this in a moment of clarity? Was he saying this to, like, cleanse his soul? Right. We don't know. We don't know. But in that first case, remember, they the prosecution really honed in on the alarm system, and they did the same thing this time. But this second trial, they were able to bring in even text messaging to show like where he was, like how his screen. So, you know, if your phone goes silent right? or, you know, you're not on your phone, it's just a blank screen Mm -hmm. and it doesn't light up unless you're, you can have it programmed to light up when you pick it up. You can have it programmed to light up if you touch it, right? but it's not going to light up unless it's triggered. It's triggered. Well, I didn't even know this, but there is, actual data that records when your phone lights up and when Uh -uh. it doesn't, when it's dead and when it's not alert and not active. And so they were able to show that exactly at 1.09 a.m., up until 1.09 a.m., he was constantly on his phone, texting, using his phone. His phone was active. But at 1.09 a.m., his phone became inactive. Now, this is critical because remember, they said that the motion detector showed that at 1.09 a.m., there was movement in the hallway. AJ, AJ. There was not any more activity on his phone until he picked it up to call 911. So their belief and their 
case in this second trial is it's not just the alarm system, it's not just the motion detector, but it's, it's his also phone. his phone. Mm. His phone is telling us what he's doing. And the reason it's inactive at this time is because he was killing his parents. That's their case. That's that's pretty doggone good. The defense does the same thing they did in the first trial. The only difference is they're allowed to bring in this medical records testimony and they deliberate, they they go to closing arguments. And I want to say this one closing argument from the prosecution. Usually I don't talk about closing arguments, okay. but this was so powerful to me because remember their case, prosecution's case is he did it because he was mad at his parents. He was having all these issues with just being rebellious and just doing what, you know, disobeying his parents. And they had so much text messaging records between his mom and his dad. And they pulled up a text message and blew it up on the screen. Mm. And they had this text message from his mom where his, his mom says, the alarm did not lie. You left. You lied. Mm. And, and that was his closing argument. He was like, and just like that text message, just like the mom said, the alarm doesn't lie. AJ lied. And I just, I thought, wow. That was good. That was amazing, that was right? And the jury goes to deliberate. What happened? Hung trial again. Oh, my god! Eight to four, but this time, eight believe that he didn't do it, and four believe that he did. Oh, it flipped. It flipped. Wow. Yeah. And so, if So, you- what, what, so, okay, two hung juries. So, obviously, the prosecution or the state is not going to go after him anymore, right? No. The prosecution said, three's a charm. We're doing this again. And they are going to trial in 2023. What? So, that's why this is an active, ongoing case. This case is still live. The, the police believe they have the right person. And they believe that justice is served by convicting AJ. And... AJ is still on house arrest. So, can we talk about before we get into our takeaways? Because this is probably a quicker takeaway. Yeah. But before we get into our takeaways, what is AJ doing now? So during in the in between the first and second trial, AJ ended up, you know, having a baby with his girlfriend, who he was, who has stuck by his side throughout the entire process. She was his girlfriend before they got. before he went on trial, and she is still his girlfriend as of today. They had a baby together. Okay. He lives with his grandmother. He's on house arrest. He cannot do anything. So family still believes he had nothing to do with Family it. believes that he had zero things to do with it. And they won't say that Josh did, but they believe that Josh is mentally unstable. And that when Josh is not on his medication, that they just that he's not stable when he's not on his medication. And that's kind of where they leave it. That's what mm-hmm. AJ believes too. AJ doesn't come out and say that Josh did it, but they are estranged. And so they are not speaking to Josh, not because they d- dislike Josh, but they're just not in relationship with him. Where's Josh? What is he doing? Josh isn't in a mental institution. So he lives in a mental facility, a mental institution, and he's getting the help he needs. The hopefully. help he needs. Absolutely. And the girl, his girlfriend or his ex-girlfriend wholeheartedly believes that he had nothing to do with this. Hmm. 
So let's go ahead and just get right into the takeaway. Yeah, I mean, I did so much talking yeah. that I feel like you should go first. <laughs> you did, but I mean, it was good. I mean, I, we, we could only have a lawyer take on those those the explanation of those two trials. Cause... Yeah, they're very detailed, and I think you really do need to have more of a legal understanding to, to tackle them. But sure. So my takeaway, I mean, I don't... When these cases are ongoing, I sometimes struggle to come up with a takeaway. So I'll say this. It is not hard to uh, believe that AJ could possibly have done it. Because we've had plenty of cases and just in our love of true crime, we have discovered that people will kill you for less. And you would think... You know, that, man, you're not getting along with your parents? Okay, I'm just going to sneak out the house because that's normal. Right. Run away. <laughs> that's even more normal. <laughs> but to kill your parents, man. But I just think that in these growing pains, right, like in terms of what is the lesson we can learn here, um, I think that you just have to try to filter through those situations with, with your parents uh, because you never know what will come back and bite you. I mean, I just don't really have a great takeaway here. I hate to say that, but that means I, that's real. I just think not really knowing and not even really knowing where I land on if AJ did it or not. I just, my takeaway is just, it's hard being a teenager, obviously. And I just think about the, the both sides of it, right? Like if he actually did it, man I hope he is charged with it but then I also feel like well if he didn't do it this kid has been through hell he's now 22 he said 22 years old so I, I just don't know I, I it's hard it's incredibly hard for me I'm interested to see what you have to say well you know I think I have less of a takeaway and just kind of a a more just summary of the case in my opinion I think justice doesn't always have to look like it's coming through the legal system. And whether he gets justice here on this side of earth, he there will be justice. Yeah. So, and also I think, I don't know if he did it or not. I usually will tell you my gut is saying this. I think that I have gone back and forth with this case I absolutely see the totality of prosecution's case and say, whoa, that's, that's pretty good. That's a that's a pretty strong case. But then I see the defense's defense's uh, case and I say, whoa, that's some real good reasonable doubt. <laughs> and I absolutely understand why they have not been able to come back with a verdict. And I think that because of that, the prosecution needs to let it go. There is nothing that the prosecution is going to, in my opinion, and maybe they're going to shock me because I'm going to follow this case, but I don't think that the prosecution is going to be able to come back with anything else that's going to make those reasonable doubts go away because you still have the medical records where Josh is saying that he did it and it's not, it is easier for a lay person to believe that somebody who is mentally unstable did something like this. It's easier, it's an easier pill to swallow, it's an easier reality to accept, and so a juror, a, a common lay juror would believe that. You can't get rid of that. 
I don't care what you come with unless you can show a picture of AJ with the gun in his hand pulling the trigger you can't get rid of that then you cannot get rid of this break-in that occurred mere hours after this crime and when you're looking at that surveillance how do you explain that they're not getting the valuable things it looks like a targeted hit it looks like somebody's trying to hide something that the Armstrongs had information about and because of those reason areas of reasonable doubt because the defense will always be able to hang their hat on those areas of reasonable doubt not to mention an expert saying that this alarm system is not reliable it's too much it's too much to be able to convict him that does not mean he didn't do it i say this all the time and i'll continue to say it because i think it's important you understand it in case you ever serve on the jury reasonable doubt does not mean the person's innocent it means that it's not enough to convict. And you can believe in your heart that somebody did it, but if they can't prove beyond a reasonable doubt, then that person goes free. And I don't think that they're going to be able to prove beyond a reasonable doubt that AJ did this, so AJ should go free. That's the legal system. But the takeaway here is that if he did do it, God will take care of that. Right. Vengeance is mine, says the Lord. And so, you know, whether you're a Christian or you're a believer, I am. And so that's one of the things that gives me, you know, peace when you get cases like this where you may really feel like you have that person. And you want the legal system to do what it was designed to do, and yet it is not. What gives me peace about it is, well... He'll get it. He'll get it. And so... We will keep you updated on this case as it goes to trial. If there's no, any new information that comes forward, we definitely will let you know. But I am most interested in what you believe. Do you believe that AJ did it? Do you believe that the case proved, the defense proved their case beyond a reasonable doubt? Or do you believe that Josh did it or somebody else did it? That they completely dropped the ball and got the wrong people. Right, so we'll be having a poll on our um, episode, and to access that poll, you need to be listening on Spotify. So, I mean, I know I'm an Apple podcaster, I love listening to, but come over to Spotify, it doesn't take that long, just come on over and just vote, okay? So, if you guys enjoy Murder in the Black, take time to rate, review, follow us so you can catch up with all the latest things we have, we are on Instagram and TikTok. Until next time, friends, this is Murder in the Black.